Warning. Explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Scott David Chase. This is my truth. Tell me yours. On this episode, I spoke with John Kuyper. Uh, John, a.k.a. Johnny Boston, owns the restaurant Johnny Boston's in Newmarket, New Hampshire. But uh, more importantly, John is currently running for governor of New Hampshire um, for the 2024 election. We sat down, talked about, you know, his his uh, inspiration, the impetus for him running and some of his uh, passions and his platforms that he uh, will implement when he's elected governor. So, yeah, I've known John a long time. Uh, our families have known each other for you know, four decades now. And uh, it was good to catch up with him. And I was very curious as to uh, what had kind of inspired him to run for governor. And it was good talking to him. And hope you enjoy this conversation with John Kuyper. And you can check out his platform uh, at votekuyper.org. Uh, it's K-I-P-E-R.org. Uh, yeah, here's my conversation with John Kuyper. So what's going on, John Kuyper, votekuyper.org? <laughs> so I am running for governor of New Hampshire. Yeah. Uh, I I think I made the formal formal announcement a couple weeks ago, um, but it's something I've been actually thinking about since 2015 uh, because I thought there were some things about the state that people weren't really talking about. Yeah. Um, mainly the fact that the legislature doesn't get paid and we're one of the only states that doesn't do that or right. that doesn't pay all of them pay something and it might not be a lot, you know, in, in Maine, it's 20,000, um, per session and most States it's significantly higher than that 50, 60, 70 grand. So you can right. afford to run as a working class, middle-class person. Um, but as a result of this fact in New Hampshire, 75 to 80% of all of our legislatures legislature is rich or retired. Right. And it's kind of funny because I knew that that was generally a fact, but I didn't know the actual number until a couple of months ago. So I began sort of researching my platform. And it was so funny because I was looking at some different tax things and just the fact that the fastest growing demographic in New Hampshire is 65 and up, which grew 50% from 2011 to 2021, yeah. which is drastic. And in my restaurant, I own a little restaurant, Johnny Boston's in Newmarket. And I was noticing every year we would lose a couple young couples who would move out of state or sometimes they'd just move up north or wherever. And we'd lose them and the people who would replace them would be generally retired folks from, you know, wherever, Texas, um, Massachusetts, generally not from the state of New Hampshire. Places elsewhere. Yeah. And I thought, you know, if I was a conspiracy theorist, I'd say there was a small group of people who are trying to make New Hampshire into like a safe haven for retirees and you know, into almost, yeah, like a safe haven for, uh, for elderly folks from not New Hampshire, you know, from out of state. And then I started diving in. I'm like, well, it kind of makes sense given that, um, if everybody, if the majority of the legislature is rich and retired, it just, I think not like even intentional, but all humans sort of look after themselves, you know, and they know about their interests. So they're going to protect their interests and their issues. And, I think this is why we don't have enough affordable housing. I think this is why the heroin epidemic has not really been properly dealt with. Right. Uh, I feel it's why our educational system, the funding for it is, is regressive. And uh, I, I did serve on the Newmarket Town Council in um, 2018. Uh, 2018, 2019, basically all the pandemic, as yeah. it turned out. And I was able to do some things there, but I just realized systemically we were kind of screwed because yeah. of the way the tax system works and the amount of money we were paying for the education of our public education. And I realized I was like, there's really no, you know, I was talking to our town manager. I said like, how do we lower our tax rate? You know, can we build our way out? If Walmart moves into that lower it? And he was like, well, a little bit, but in the long term, not really because more people or more businesses means more services, more water, more roads, more sure. cops, you know? Yeah. And I was like, man, what kind of system is this in which there's really no way besides cutting services, you know, we could have less police, less firefighters, less um, paved roads, right. <laughs> but ultimately 
you know, there's really no way to fix this. And, and then the other thing a couple years ago that I heard at NHPR, which really kind of stuck with me was this woman called up. They were doing a story about uh, property rates, property tax rates in different towns and cities in New Hampshire. Yeah. And this woman called up and said, you know, I'm in my 60s, and if it was up to me, we wouldn't allow anybody over the age of 55 to move into our town because we don't want to pay for their children's education. And I thought... What a terrible way to run a state. Sure, and it's very short-sighted. Yeah, and just exactly. And and it's so short-sighted in just the most basic aspect of like if you want hospitals or restaurants or like plumbers that you can afford to hire, these people all need to have housing, right. you know. And if all we build is McMansions at half a million dollars a pop, all we're going to get is rich people moving here. Right. And yeah, there, there was a couple things, too, that I found in my research. So this is what really motivated me was the fact that I couldn't afford to run uh, as a state. I couldn't afford to serve as a state rep because I couldn't afford to drive to Concord for right. no money. And I felt like everyone just kind of was assuming that this graying of New Hampshire was inevitable and yeah. that there was nothing we could do to prevent it. And that people like me, if I wanted to buy a house, I mean, I do own this building that my restaurant's in, but it's a 700 square foot apartment. Right. If I want to own a house, I need to move wherever those houses are, an hour and a half away, you know, Maine, wherever. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I've lost friends moved to South Carolina. Uh, we've lost some great people from, to Pennsylvania, Philly. You know, I guess it's cheap to buy a house there. Yeah. My manager, who, who's just went on maternity leave, is moving back to um, Michigan, where she's from, because she's stashed a bunch of, you know, New Hampshire dollars and just bring them back to the Midwest to buy a house for like 200,000. Yeah. And I just do not believe that it's a foregone conclusion that we need to accept that New Hampshire is just going to be some kind of retirement community. And I think it's not even feasible. I mean, you're going to yeah. inevitably need nurses and LNAs to take care of these elderly people, not to mention, you know, we need people to pave the road or to, to plow the roads in the winter. Sure. You know, we need all of these things and generally, I mean, unless retired people want to work into their 80s, you know, I don't think that was the point of it. Yeah. You know, we're going to need young people to fill these gaps. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. Uh, a, a society, uh, you know, um, a community has to be of all ages, you know, because, you know, time marches on for all of us. And, you know. And the pyramid scheme of, of civilization. I mean, that's kind of what dawned on me a, while, a little while back as I was like, you know, Civilization since the beginning of time has been a pyramid scheme mm. and it collapses when the pyramid gets inverted, you know, and you don't have enough young people at the bottom. Um, you know, one thing I've been sort of one line I've been using is like, you know, if, if thousands of years ago when we were living in tents and like tribally, you know, all over the world, you know, if, if the vill village elders or the, the tribal elders said to the, um, you know, the young, the young people, 18 year olds or whatever said, Hey, we're out of tents. Like there's no more room for tents for you. You know? Well, probably those young people are just going to leave. Right. And the elders who are stuck there who cannot hunt enough to feed themselves because they're too old are going to die. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think if people realized what's happening in this state in terms of, um, the retirement homes are super understaffed right now yeah. and they cannot hire enough LNAs because they cannot pay enough because people just cannot afford to live around these retirement homes. Uh, I mean, I talked to a medical malpractice lawyer that says he, he is inundated with lawsuits yeah. from these retirement homes. And I don't think it's the fault of the retirement home. I mean, they just cannot physically hire enough people. Yeah. And the people in those retirement homes are by and large, not even from New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of interesting because I'm pretty sure, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm willing to bet there's um, financial advisors out there who are selling, you know, retired people like, hey, go to this old folks home in New Hampshire. They're not going to tax your retirement income. Right. You know, there's no sales tax. Like you're going to be able to live much more comfortably. Right. You know, at the expense of there's a lady in this town, Newmarket, who's in her mid 80s, you know, her husband's de like deceased. Her family doesn't live around here. She's trying to live in this trailer because there's nowhere else for her to go. Sure. So her other slightly less elderly neighbors are helping to take care of her, which they are doing. Yeah. Um, cause we're a good community, but at a certain point that becomes unsustainable, right. you know? And I think, you know, the baby boomers, I mean, this is like, I had this thought the other day, just in terms of 
just the totality of what's going on right now. You know, we've got the climate crisis, this plastic crisis, you know, the forever chemicals, the BFOAs, and, and it's just like the baby boomers, even with this housing thing, it's just like they cannot seem to plan for the future, like yeah. beyond one election cycle, you know, and like they can't seem to think 20 years down the line. So that's where I, I wanted people to start thinking like, hey, you know, we should stop accepting that the only people who can serve in these higher offices are rich and stop accepting that like they're only going to think one election cycle ahead, you right, know? Right. So I think that's one thing that I'm able to say because I honestly, I'm running for governor out of sheer survival in some ways. And I actually don't care if I, if I lose, yeah. you know, <laughs> in some ways I don't want this job, but the people who want it have got no ideas, no plans. And they're just about maintaining the status quo. And like, I just can't afford to live here anymore. If that's going to be sure. the way it goes. Yeah. Um, I, you know, and I know that you had, you know, you'd, you'd mentioned you had done some public office work before. Um, but this is obviously a much bigger, much, much more involved responsibility. Um, just playing devil's advocate. What makes you feel like this is a job that you'd be able to do? I mean, I, I I definitely hear what you're saying and I, I, you know, I agree with what you're saying. Um, what do you, you know, what makes you feel you're qualified? Well, it's really funny because New Hampshire has actually what we call a weak governor, mm-hmm. uh, meaning he does not actually have a lot of power. Mm-hmm. So the reality is, this is kind of funny because a couple terms ago, Greg Benson was the governor and he only, he did not win re-election. And it was sort of funny because my dad was telling me, he's like, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's really bad that he didn't win re-election because basically the governor of New Hampshire has no money to do anything with. Yeah. <laughs> so he basically has to keep the roads plowed and, um, you know, keep the lights on at the national parks, not to belittle the job, but I would say the governor has got more resources in terms of people around him than maybe some of our mayors of some of our bigger cities do, yeah. you know? And, that's where my intention is to build a team of people. I'll, I mean, I'll admit, I don't know everything mm. <laughs> as a politician. I don't know everything <laughs> and I'm willing to bring people that do know these things. Sure. I think the governor's role is more to have a vision for the future of the state and to put people in the right places, make the right appointments, yeah. um, to serve the people of New Hampshire the best and not just the rich and the retired. Um, that's where I think I have a better connection with the needs of the people of New Hampshire than any of the people running, because all of the other people running both sides of the parties are generally richer, you know, lobbyists, lawyers, these type of people. Sure. Um, and I think that they do not understand the problems of people of New Hampshire because they don't deal with them on a day to day basis. Right. I don't think they have friends who can't afford their rent or friends whose house uh, who can't buy a house and have been looking for a decade or, you know, a decade or whatever. Sure. I don't think that I'm going to bet their children, you know, if they, if they have them, you know, went to private school and probably got a little help from mom and dad to buy their starter home in Concord or whatever, you right. know? Yeah. Um, and I think one thing that's really important and, and that I think people should think about this a lot is the benefit of me running for governor or serving as governor is that, Unlike all the other people running, I have not spent decades in the political machine. And this is what people got to realize is every time you run for office, uh, I mean, maybe not necessarily town council, but a little bit on town council, you shake hands with people and they donate to your campaign and they, you know, you become friends with them. And these people are lobbyists for various um, organizations, various businesses, business owners, you know, they're also union heads of different organizations and you shake hands with them and they make a donation. Every time that happens, there's a little a nod and a wink, which is you're not going to create any more taxes on us. You're not going to create any regulation on us. Right. And you're going to maintain the status quo because it benefits me. And that's why I'm writing this check. And they write checks to people on both parties. You know what I mean? And every time, the longer you're in that system, the, the more favors you now, owe, more people you can't tax, more regulation you can't put on to these businesses, you know? And also, I think the longer that you're in uh, uh, in government, especially with a broken system like we have in New Hampshire, the more you only see the solutions as being within the system. But if the system itself is creating the problems, how do you fix that? Because you can't even see it. Right. You know, it's like you get blinders. And it's so funny talking to people because, 
the people who have been excited about me running for governor are generally people that aren't that keyed in with the political parties. They haven't worked on a political campaign. Um, you know, maybe we're all just naive in the idea that maybe someone who isn't rich could be the governor. Sure. And I'm sure that's a fair argument that you, you, you should probably make that, you know, this is crazy. Like for me to even contemplate it without having a, a bunch of money and be a bunch of rich friends to donate to not only me, but to the party writ large. Right. I mean, one thing I learned is that you know, sometimes the New Hampshire democratic party has these events and there'll be a speaker. Frequently that speaker has donated, you know, four figures to the party for that chance to speak, Yeah, you know, and why are Cindy Warmington and Joyce Craig, the two nominees? Well, one thing is because they have wealthy friends who will donate not only to their cause, but to the party writ large. And so you see this like money machine and it just eats up money. And like, I mean, it's kind of annoying because like I was meeting with some of my team last night and we were just talking about this and just fundraising. And, you know, at one point when I first was contemplating this, I'm like, man, I'd love to do this and not raise money. <laughs> you know, like what if I could do this with significantly less money through social media, through guerrilla campaign tactics. Sure. And for, for, for two reasons, one, because I don't have the money, you know, yeah. two, it would save me from, um, creating these relationships in which I now owe someone a favor. Yeah. You're not going to be in anyone's pocket. Yeah. And then the biggest part would be, I think we would all be happy if someone did that and then could look to the other politicians and say, Hey, there is a way we can do this without raising millions of dollars. You just got to be creative about it. And if we did that, we a wouldn't be wasting all this money on these campaigns and B we wouldn't be inundated with all this media. You know what I mean? Like the mm -hmm. postcards and the, and the, the ads on TV, which I mean, sometimes seeing those repetitively, I'm like, I'm not going to vote for this guy. Cause I just saw his ad three times in one Hulu show. You right. Know? Right. <laughs> so I mean, is that realistic? Probably not. I'm probably going to have to raise a bunch of money. I'm hoping that I can do it for less. I mean, that was one interesting thing about the primary this last time was, you know, Bernie raised significantly more money than Biden mm. and didn't matter, you know? Sure. At a certain point, you know, money is not going to buy your way into it. Um, so that's kind of um, my general thought about, yeah, about being governor and, you know, at the end of the day, if Donald Trump can be president of the United States, I think you can be whatever you want. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. And so could I. Right. Um, so what was the, like, what's the actual process like, you know, because you said you were meeting with your team. So, like, what's the actual process like to officially throw your hat in the ring to become uh, a candidate for government? Well, it was so funny because I... This is, this is a sort of a funny aside, but I think relevant. Initially, I'd come up with this idea a super long time ago, and my idea was I'm going to change my name legally to Johnny Boston. I'm going to run for governor. It'll be on every you know ballot in the state. It's 100 bucks to get on the ballot. So that's yeah. the cheapest advertising I can do. Sure. And I start, I was like, well, if I'm going to do it, I want to have a legit platform. And I, and I was like, I think by doing this, I can make this argument, you know, corporations are people. I'm a corporation. I'm running for governor as a corporation slash person, you yeah. know? And I thought mainly because I thought maybe I could get some like press for this idea, like nationally. Cause that'd be like, that's crazy enough that sure. you know, maybe it would be a, a bit of a media, um, a, a, you know, pull for the media. And it was so funny because I told my dad and he was just not having it. Sure. <laughs> and he was not having it. So I well, was like, I mean, he does have a, he does have a, a stake in that matter. Cause it's his name. Yeah. So I was like, he was so disappointed and not psyched at all. And I was like, well, all right, well maybe I'm going to use my real name. And, but by then I'd sort of already dug in enough and built up enough platform that I was sort of angry. And I was like, I'm not going to stop now, yeah. you know, just because, this is not going to be a publicity stunt for my restaurant. Mm -hmm. um, not like initially was. I mean, I have, I've always had the same or, or had these views, but I just thought that might be an easy way of getting some press. But anyway, it was really funny because when I finally was like, all right, I'm doing this, you know, I'm doing this. And I told some people and they're like, well, all right, man, go for it. Um, I, I got online and like get looking for the paperwork and you don't file until June 5th, 2024. <laughs> so yeah. technically no one's running for governor yet. Sure. You know, sure. and it's all theoretical. It's all theoretical. And, and, um, I mean, that's another kind of interesting fact is like, I, um, I had heard a story a couple of about, I think maybe 
it was like a off year election, I think two years ago. And uh, basically what happened, there was three people running for uh, mayor of, I can't remember what city it was, but long story short, there's three people running and the two people that were leading the polls ended up having to bow out because of random, um, random gossip that came out about them having affairs with people or something like that. And so yeah. the third person who was actually not doing well in the polls, but was the most progressive ended up winning the election just sort of by default. Yeah. They ended up being the only Democrat left. And that is kind of also sort of one thought I had is like, why not get in? You know, these other two people could flame out. Sure. Who knows what could happen, you know? Um, and even to that extent, I'm like, you know, baby or, or, the millennials need to put our hats in the ring. I think for every election on every level all the time, because yeah. the baby boomers are clearly not giving up the hands, the reins of power very easily. Yeah. I mean, look at this presidential election. It's ridiculous, you know? And I think not only just because we, there's a slight chance I could win, but also if we want the baby boomers to look at our issues in a serious way, if they're the ones running the country, we have to be a, a threat to them at the ballot box, sure. you know, and we have to make them think, geez, maybe I have to build more houses because this guy could take some of my votes if I don't. Right. And that was the other frustrating thing. Like I looked at when I was first debating whether or not to run, I looked at Joyce Craig and Cindy Warmington's websites. All they had was literally a donate button with, uh, you know, housing, environment, abortion. And I was like, all right, well, how are you going to do the housing part? Cause it's so complicated. We're in the worst position we could possibly be in, in terms of, cost of labor, cost of materials, cost of land, mm -hmm. you know, and they didn't really have any plan. And I was like, at a minimum, my, my goal is to put up a plan. Now it might not be a good plan. It might be the worst plan, but it's the only plan as of yet. Yeah. And force them to like, say what they're going to do. Because sure. politicians, I, do, I think, I think it's fear of having their ideas ridiculed or, you know, making someone angry, you know, they, they're too afraid of taking a risk about being honest with people, yeah. you know, and, and that's where I'm like, you know, I'm not a career politician. I don't care if I lose. This isn't the end of the world for me. I'm also 40. I can run every two years for the next two twenty. you right. know what I mean? Yeah. And still be younger than some of the people running. You sure. Know? Sure. So that was also kind of the long game is I was like, you know, every, it's kind of the gift of New Hampshire as we do these, gen, these gubernatorial elections every two years. And then also, um, you know, it's a small state the, yeah. the, 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 uh, primary will be decided by a hundred thousand people, yeah. you know? And I, I was really, uh, glad of one of the articles, um, that they put out that they've only had one poll so far about the general poll of the gubernatorial race. And, you know, one thing at the very end that they wrote was New Hampshire's a small population, Anything can happen. Someone could come out of the woodwork and win this thing. Like there's nothing is set in stone. Right. And I was like, hell yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah sure. Uh, and I have one of my former employees started a group called the New Hampshire Youth Movement. I don't know if you heard of that. NHYM. Mm -hmm. So they basically were initially were basically working for Bernie's campaign. Yeah. But they funded a bunch of money. They've, they've, they've got a bunch. They've got like a $2 million budget. Now they work on different issues, environment, um, trans rights, uh, stuff like that. But, um, you know, he had worked on a, a number of campaigns through them. And he told me at one point, um, he was like, you know, realistically, you could, someone could get in this thing in June and win by September because mm -hmm. just the size of the state is so small. Yeah. You know, and, and I didn't even realize this, but the greater Seacoast area is like 60% of the population. Yeah. You know, so it's not, um, it's not even, it's just not that big. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, the only other really densely populated Parts of the state, you got Manchester, you got Nashville, yeah. you got Concord. The I-93 corridor, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it's, you know, having visited a wide, you know, a good portion of this state, uh, yeah, there's not a lot of people once you start getting away from those areas. Yeah. Yeah, they're pretty scattered. Um, it's funny because I grew up in New Hampshire, you know, the seacoast specifically, and didn't really realize how small it was until I moved out to Arizona. And then somebody gave me the, the statistic or the fact that you can fit all of New England plus Pennsylvania inside of Arizona. And that seemed wow. crazy to me. And then I, I looked at a map and I was like, yeah, probably. And then I looked at the square footage of, you know, each yeah. one. And I was like, Oh, definitely. Cause like, you know, I, and it, it all came into focus. I, I did a road trip one day from the Northeast 
uh, corner to the southwestmost corner of Arizona. You know, okay. it was like a yeah. 14, 15 hour drive, but I was wow. like, yeah. oh yeah, if that's the case, you know, New England is definitely smaller than that. And I, case in point, the, the weekend before my 40th birthday, I did a 24 hour trip where I visited all six state capitals in New England. So yeah, it's, it, it's a small area. That yeah. Yeah. yeah, totally. I mean, it's so just even geographically, it's possible to knock a whole bunch of doors, you know, without going more than two or three hours yeah. drive. And, um, so I think what I'm attempting would not make sense in almost any other state, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. But we have a small population that's sort of condensed. You yeah. know, if we're in Wyoming or something, it'd be a lot harder for me to sure. you know, less people, but they're way more spread out, you yeah. know? So that's kind of what I'm banking on is, is just the long game. Um, and again, if any of the people running were to adopt, you know, some of my core ideas, I would endorse them drop out in a heartbeat. Yeah. I, it's not like an ego thing for me, you know, and that's what I think is important is like, I'm running for governor for specific reasons. And I think the other people, all four of them are running because they think it's their time. And it's yeah. their, you know, they put in the work, they've done the fundraising for the democratic or the Republican party. And now like, it's my turn to be governor. They have no like real motivation aside from that. I think it's right. just straight ego, you know? And I mean, some of them will probably be great at maintaining the status quo, yeah. you know? Um, but maintaining the status quo, I think in the sustainability long-term of New Hampshire is not going to work out that well. Yeah. Yeah. So are you running as a Democrat? You uh, so yeah, I'm running as a Democrat as of right now. I will say that I had contemplated running as an independent because I am one of those people as much of New Hampshire is, who uh, was a registered independent for years. And then, honestly, when Donald Trump came along, I was like, I'm going to put up the facade of pretending like I'm going to vote for a Republican in the near future, which mm. I'm just not. So I stopped, and I've been a registered Democrat since 2016. Um, and I think generally my views align with the Democrats a little bit more than the Republicans. However, it's been funny because I've made a bunch of TikTok videos about my views and stuff. And my uncle, who is a you know, Republican, fairly conservative, he showed some of his, his friends and he said, man, one of my buddies says you've got a more conservative tax um, philosophy than like most Republicans. And I was like, oh my God, what did I say? Right. You know? right. So it's been really funny because some of the Democrats I've talked to that are like connected, that are like in the party, you know, doing um, campaign work. It's been really funny because they've been like, oh, you're a joke if, if you're going to run as an independent. I'm like, oh, well, maybe I'll run as an independent. And they're like, well, you could you could cost us an election if you run as an independent. Like, Nike Hassan only won by 1,000 votes one year because this guy ran third party. And I'm like, well, A, you have no way of proving that those votes would have gone right. to Kelly Ayotte. Like, you just – people might not have showed up. They might not have ticked any box. Sure. But ultimately, I thought it was just so funny. So I'm like, oh, if I run as a Democrat, I'm a joke. If I run as an independent, I'm a threat, you know? Sure. Um, I'm super tempted to run as an independent. And if I probably will in 2026. Yeah. Um, part of the reason I'm running as a Democrat is to help get my name out there. Um, hopefully get on the debate stage. I mean, that's one thing where, where like, <laughs> I'm so naive because I literally was like, all right, I fire out this email. WMUR calls me. Um, you know, we do the debates. And then I put out my ideas and maybe I win, maybe I don't, you know, but whatever. And I was literally like, oh, I'm so nervous about what I'm going to on WMUR. Like, they still haven't responded to my press release. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And, um, and I'm like, and I think it, part of it has to do with the number of people that run for president as a sort of a joke, vermin supreme, you know? So it's hard to like, be like, hey, I might not be rich and you may not have heard of my name unless you live generally around Newmarket. Right. However, like I have some good ideas that are on my plat on my website, my platform's right there, substantially more than any of the other candidates, yeah. you know? Um, so yeah, it's kind of funny. I, I want to be a Democrat, but it's, you know, the more I learn about the way that it operates, it's like, Oh, you guys are pretty much just like slightly less rich than the Republicans. Right. And like, you might, you know, give some, um, you know, lip, lip service to the issues of the working class and middle class, but they're not really doing anything. I mean, one really interesting fact is that we had a sales tax passed by both houses in, I can't remember what year it was, but it was shot down by the then governor, Gene Shaheen. You know what I mean? And I was talking to um, a friend the other day who worked for Odyssey House in Hampton. I think it was like a school for uh, abused children or, or yeah. children that were getting into trouble. And she was telling me how it got closed down in 2008, probably budget shortage, you know, housing crisis. But that was Governor Lynch, Democrat, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, 
I'm like, geez, like you guys aren't doing that much better. I mean, I also fundamentally believe, and this is, you know, for all my progressive and whatever friends out there, the lesson from Donald Trump and the MAGA revolution of the Republican Party is a small group of determined people can take over either party if they want to. Sure. You know, and so if that's possible, we'll see. You know, it's kind of funny because I'm, I'm about to send out some letters, some emails to the different county Democratic parties to say, hey, I'm running. I'd like to talk to your people. Yeah. If they're not willing to listen, then I'm going to run as an independent because what choice do I have? You know, if they don't want to play ball, if this is a coronation, not a primary, I'm out, you yeah. know? Um, like one funny thing about WMR is like I emailed them for the ad rates, right? And it was only um, 150 bucks to do a 30-second ad on Jimmy Kimmel Live, which yeah. I was like, that's not bad. I could probably do 10 or 12 of those, get my yeah. name out there. And then I was like, oh, wait, are their rates different for political ads? And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a whole different department. Yeah. It's double, you know? <laughs> huh, that's interesting. And then I don't know if this is true, but one of the state reps told me that she had heard that to get on the debate stage at WMUR was based on advertising dollars spent with them. You know what I mean? So we'll see. I mean, I hope that isn't true. And one thing that's really funny is the reason why I thought WMUR would get back to me was because I was doing some research and I found the Republican um, gubernatorial primary debate from last time when Sunu didn't even show up, right? Yeah. So it was these three super right people who farther right than um, than Sununu who were just really litigating mask mandates and COVID and stuff. But WMUR did this whole thing about them and they had a debate and they had a little beginning sequence where they showed each of them and they're like, home base, you know, and yeah. like with the Eagles flying and American flags. And I was like, God, oh, dude, WMR is going to love this. Like just for sheer eyeballs, you know what I mean? Like this has got to sure. be more interesting than for kind of like older politicians that really outside of, you know, the political circle, no one really knows who these people are. Right. So it's been kind of hilarious because I'm like, Oh yeah. Like they probably see me as someone who cannot invest in advertising. So sure. what is the, what is the gain for them? Right. You know, so it's definitely like a lot more, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying not to get more cynical as, as it goes by, but yeah. it's definitely um, troubling to say the least how the media and just everyone sort of programmed this idea that like rich people are, are governors, yeah. you know, yeah. and like, <laughs> I mean, we, I was raised to believe it's a democracy and like anyone can do anything and whatever, you know? Right. Um, and I mean, maybe I'm naive and whatever I'm clearly, but I, I feel like it's, it's worth giving a shot. And, um, and yeah, I mean, I will say one thing that's been really interesting is the people that lean conservative Republican, will tell me they're like, if you run, I'll, I'll vote for you. But if you run as a, as an independent, I'll vote. If you run as a Democrat, I'm not going to take that. Yeah. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to vote for the Republican. So, and, and I don't know if you know this, but 28% of New Hampshire is Democrats, 31 are registered Republicans and 40 are unregistered independents. Gotcha. So this is what the democratic party gets wrong. And this is kind of one of the reasons I was reluctant to even run as a Democrat. I'm like, dude, you guys are so good at losing. You've lost four gubernatorial elections in a row. And it's like, they're not organized. They're very organized. They're very motivated, but they just keep picking candidates that cannot win in the general. And the reason is the Republicans do not pick the governor. The Democrats do not pick the governor. It's the independents. And those are the people you need to win over. And of those 40% independents, majority of them are going to vote Republican or Democrat every election, no matter what. Right. It's a very slim number right in the middle, you know, 10 or 15, maybe 20% that actually switch every election and, and vote on, on issues that are not even really the focus of the campaigns. Cause if they were, they would have picked a party, you know, if they were, if it was just abortion or just guns or just weed, they would have picked a party, but they haven't. Yeah. So I think the Democrats aren't good at picking candidates. And so I was reluctant to join them. Cause I'm like, you know, if, if, if they're not going to pick someone that's going to win, do I want to join that group? Right. Sure. And one thing that I didn't really know about is they have had the same chairman for a long time. And, you know, the, through these losses, they have not elected a new chairman. They have not changed any way in which they're operating. They haven't picked a new, um, new types of candidates. And I mean, the other like, uh, ign- ignition for igniter for me running was, 
Um, I mean, I was on the fence for a little while, and I read this article in the Daily Beast that Cindy Warmington, who's currently running for governor and is an executive counselor, Democrat, she was a um, she was a lobbyist for Purdue Pharma, maker of OxyContin in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. And they literally have her on Senate testimony saying, OxyContin is not habit-forming and totally safe, you know? Right. And I'm just like, I, I read this article, and I thought, oh, okay, she's done. I emailed some people that endorsed her. They didn't even want to talk about it. One guy, one of our state reps, was defending her, saying, oh, lobbyists just get paid to do what they get paid to do. Yeah. And I was like, dude, this is insane. There's no way this woman is going to become governor of New Hampshire. There's just no way the 40% of independents, after the trauma we have endured for the last two decades from the opioid epidemic that started because OxyContin was uh, easily accessible and a bunch of kids got hooked on it, 80% of the people on her- addicted to heroin started on OxyContin prescribed by their doctor. And I was like, oh, my God, these people are so this – is, this is so – just dumb. (laughs) And, uh, so I was like, all right, if I do nothing else in this campaign, it's going to be allow or or waking people up to the fact that Cindy Warmington can never be governor. She will not be governor. You know, I mean, 10% of my graduating class is either dead in jail or in rehab from people like Cindy Warmington pushing Oxycontin on the people of New Hampshire. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing that's really interesting. So I was like, all right, Cindy Warmington's not going to win anyway, but the people are going to waste a bunch of money donating to her campaign, knocking on doors for her. You wake up, Democrats. And then Joyce Craig, who's the mayor of Manchester, I was like, well, the criticism for her that's going to come up is if she couldn't solve homelessness in uh, Manchester, how is she going to solve it in the, in the rest of the state? Mm-hmm. And it was so funny because a couple weeks ago, and I, and I was kind of, I put out a couple TikTok videos saying that, and I was like, this is going to be the criticism. Whether or not you like it or not, this is what Kelly Ayotte's going to say. If she's the candidate, Joyce Craig. She's going to run these ads of homeless encampments in Manchester and say, do you want this coming to your town? Like, it's coming with, right. with Joyce Craig. And it's so funny because a couple weeks ago, the um, Kavanaugh, who was the running for mayor of Manchester as a Democrat, lost. Um, a guy's name, the Republicans, like Reese, I think I don't even know how it spells, or it's pronounced his name. But anyway, so he won. And I immediately was thinking this is good news for me because now I have proof that the independence of Manchester have soured on Joyce Craig and on her leadership. And why would they vote for her in a general election as a, as a governor, if they're not going to vote for her successor in the state or in the city of Manchester? Yeah. And I emailed one of my buddies who is a reporter in um, Manchester for the Inkling. I said, Hey, what do you think the ramifications of this election are for, you know, the primary? And he kind of backed up what I was saying. And they said, Oh, Hey, I just got this press release from Kelly Ayotte. And it said, uh, basically what I just said, you know, the people managed to sour on democratic leadership at Joyce Craig. And it said, it said, if Joyce Craig couldn't solve the homelessness problem, Manchester, how is she going to solve it in the rest of New Hampshire? Yeah. And I was like, Kelly Ayotte is going to kill, is going to just destroy her in this election. Yeah. You know, she's going to kill it because she is just going to use this over and over and over and over, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's where I was like, man, I actually have a reasonable shot at this because I do not have this political baggage that both these people have, you know? Yeah. And if people looked at it reasonably, you know, I'm a candidate for those 40% independents. You know why? I'm a small business owner. I'm a capitalist, but I'll be honest with you, I'm not particularly good at it because I'm not a sociopath. Right. Um, <laughs> I, a member of my local community church, I'm very active, although I do not attend Sundays very regularly because I work late Saturday night. Right. Uh, I'm also a gun owner, but I never have shot my gun. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm probably, you know, the average, close to the average um, independent New Hampshire resident that I think any of the candidates are. Sure. And I mean, I've been, I live in this, this apartment that I own, but I've been trying to buy a house for five or six years and I've just seen the prices go up and up and up. Yeah. And I think that will resonate with people in New Hampshire who are tired of the status quo. And I mean, I'm sorry to guy the other day who's a Republican and he was like, he's like, man, I'm not like way into sales tax or income tax, but like my property taxes are so high and going up and up and up. Like this is just not sustainable. Yeah. You know? So I think people are waking up to the fact that, like, if if we want to live here, we're going to have to make a few changes, you know. And I'm not talking about anything super drastic, I don't think, um, you know. But we need to come up with a plan for the next 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 years, which no one is, I think, even willing to do right now. Yeah, yeah. So you've you've definitely touched on, like, the housing crisis that we're in, you know, coupled with, you know, the homeless problem. And, I mean, it's 
nationwide, but yeah. know, in, in New Hampshire certainly is a problem. Also the opi- opioid crisis. Um, your most, I think it's your most recent Facebook post um, for votekuiper.org. You talked about three points, which would be your Oh, focus. yeah. Yeah, you want to talk about that? Yeah, those? so that was kind of funny. That was my initial... Um, my initial idea was these three things. And, and the main reason was because I, I realized to get these independents right in the middle, I need, th- these people aren't necessarily motivated by, motivated by policy, you know, and I need something catchy that they're going to be like, yeah. And those three things were, I want to have a cannabis dispensary in every town, liquor at every gas station and rebuild the old man on the mountain, Yeah, you know, and, and, um, you know, cannabis dispensary that might even happen before I get, um, Get elected. We'll see. They're working on it. It's kind of funny because they just had a big commission. Uh, they got a bunch of different people on board. They said, all right, let's come out with uh, the rules of how we're going to implement legalizing marijuana. They met and met and met, talked, argued and argued. They just released a statement saying they had no recommendation to give to the people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, okay, great. Um, so maybe it won't happen. But uh, legalizing marijuana, I think, is just obvious. Yeah. you know. And one thing about that that I have changed my tune about is – Initially, I was like, yeah, obviously, we're going to privatize. We don't want the Liquor Commission selling um, weed, which is what the general idea is. And the reason that they haven't done it is because the Liquor Commission cannot sell a product that's illegal federally. Um, So they were kind of trying to come up with some workarounds. And initially, I also wanted to eliminate the Liquor Commission altogether because it's just annoying. If you own a restaurant, they're the most annoying people to deal with. But I started looking at the numbers. I'm like, man, Liquor Commission brings in a lot of revenue, you know, like 10% of of the budget or something. And I started thinking, I'm like, liquor mission is straight socialism, mm-hmm. you know? And I was like, if we can sell liquor, why couldn't we sell like tiny houses, for instance, right. you know? And I started thinking about the marijuana because really the projections are like 30 to $50 million a year in tax revenue. That's not a lot of money. I mean, that's like, you know, the budget of new market is right. a little bit less than that, you know? So like, that's not going to really change the needle. I mean, sure, it's more money is better than no money, but the profit plus the taxes right. would be like potentially a hundred million dollars, right. you know, maybe more. And like, even if we let a certain number of privatized people do it, but then the state was also doing it like in the larger scale, the liquor store, I mean, imagine just the amount of money of people driving up 95 to go to Maine in the summer, stopping to buy their booze and also picking up a couple ounces of, you know, weed, like it would be huge. Yeah. So, um, I think that's really important. And then the liquor at the gas station thing, like basically I understand, like I said, why we have the liquor commission, they bring in a lot of money and it would be hard to go to a way in which it was privatized and we weren't making all the profit. But I think that in the way that wine is available at both the liquor store and the grocery store and the gas station, we could do the same with liquor, Mm -hmm. you know, and it would be more expensive because they would need to make a profit and we would still need to make our profit. So maybe it's, you know, there's like a wholesale price. It's slightly less, you know, because the liquor commission doesn't have to deal with it, but they're still making their, their money. And maybe it's three bucks more to buy a handle of vodka at the gas station than it would sure. be. But I mean, personally, to drive to Epping, you know, that's a good 30 minutes. As a restaurant owner, it's super annoying. You know, if I run out of booze at six o'clock on a Friday, there's no liquor stores open. Right. You know, whereas a gas station is open till 11. You know, if I could go there and pick up, you know, whatever, it would just be easier. Yeah. Um, and I think most people, when you leave, it's like when you go to New Hampshire, you don't really think about it. And then when you leave, you're like, oh my God, in Maine, there's liquor at the gas station. Like, right. This is insane, you know? Right. But like, live for your die. Like, what? You know? I mean, yeah. I, I, I sort of want to get into this headspace of live for your die and, and look at our laws and go, rather than saying, like, we're going to restrict these activities, like, let's talk about like all the things we can allow without, you know, um, like, for instance, I don't understand why. You can't, I mean, some parts of this town, state you can, but if I, why can't I walk down the street, go to the park and drink a beer? You know, if I'm not violating the public intoxication or public nuisance laws, mm-hmm. that's the only laws we need. We don't need the law banning the drinking of, of alcohol in the park, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and, and there's a lot of things like that, that this state has sort of just manifested this level of bureaucracy that with the slogan, live for or die, we just definitely do not need, yeah. you know? So, and then rebuild the old man on the mountain. It's something I thought of, you know, maybe six months ago or so. And I just thought, you know, I don't think it'd be that hard. I think you get corporate sponsorship to, to fund it. And basically, I don't know exactly how you do it. Pour it out of concrete, grab some rebar, grab a helicopter, drop the bad boy right on there. <laughs> but I, I think there's a lot of people that 
would agree that 2007 when the old man on the mountain fell off, it was kind of like seemed like the death of the new Hampshire that we had grown to love. Sure. sure. And that I think rebuilding that would be a great for tourism, but B would just be a good like project for all of us in New Hampshire to sort of get like, you know, um, into that headspace of just like doing something as a, as a statewide project, you yeah. know, cause like I'm trying to be a post-partisan politician in which the Paul, the, the parties don't matter. It's just getting things done, you yeah. know, and how do we do that? And, and what are some little things we could do that would just be kind of like a fun thing, like a New Hampshire sort of like team building exercise yeah. that we could all get in on. I just thought that would be really, uh, really cool. And, and talking to people who aren't super tuned into politics, those three things really hit chord with that. Sure. You know, like, why can't I buy liquor at the gas station? Why can't I buy weed? Why can't we rebuild the old man on the mountain? Sure. You know? So there's a level of sensationalism for sure that's intended to try to get, I mean, that's like the only way this works is if I can get, um, you know, if I can get some viral videos or someone else to make a viral video with yeah. my content. I mean, that's like really the, the world in which I think you run a guerrilla campaign for cheap in this modern age. Yeah. You need that catchy hook to get into someone's head and, Coming earworm and I know. Well, and I mean that's the lesson from Donald Trump, man. Like, make America great again. Uh, build the wall. You know, they, they barely built the wall. But you ask a Republican, did they build the wall? Oh, yeah, they built the wall. You know, did they make America great again? Hell yeah. You know what I mean? Right. I was using ChatGPT, and I was like, I was like, I was trying to come up with some slogan like, you know, uh, make New Hampshire great again, or bring back the live and live for your die, or or something like that. I haven't come up with anything. So if anyone's yeah. got any ideas, shoot them at me yeah. because. Uh, I would love to. Uh, I'd love to come up with something. I mean, even just you know, take back New Hampshire, something a little bit, you know. I and and one of my friends was even a delivery guy. He's like, oh, you know, that sounds kind of like a Republican thing. I'm like, dude, I don't care. Like, that's the whole. I hate that whole idea that like Republicans have taken all the like um, patriotic slogans or you know, like I had it. I had this Gadsden flag, which is don't tread on me flag, um, over a rainbow flag for like the longest time, you know. And it was so funny because I'd see people walking by and they'd be looking at it and they'd be like shaking their heads like what does this mean sure. you know it's a rainbow flag is, is he is he for the gays or is he for the republicans like right. or the gay republic what does this mean like their heads just exploded sure and that's like my favorite thing to watch yeah when you don't fit the paradigm of the right and left you yeah. know and um i just think that's the world that we need to try to occupy more like um philosophically you know is is what do we all agree on as opposed to like let's name 10 things that we can argue about yeah. <laughs> yeah. sure Sure. What's the um, what's the time frame for like when the first um, debates are happening? We'll see. I mean, I don't think it's until the summer until people have actually summer twenty twenty four. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, we will see, and it'll be really interesting to see what the um, what parameters they put on the debate stage. I bet they've never had to do that before, but I'm willing to bet what they're going to do is. They're going to say you need X amount of donations to participate in that debate, and that number will be exactly what the other two candidates have, but significantly higher than what I have. <laughs> sure, sure. So for that reason, I've been trying to get five dollar, even two dollar donations from people because it's not really about quant; it's about quantity, not quality. You sure, know, sure. Um, and we'll see. I mean, it's definitely um, it's going to be really hard if I can't get on the debate stage. Uh, but you know, it's sort of is just like. Let's see what happens. You know, if, if I throw everything against the wall and nothing sticks, so be it. You know, yeah. I, I move on. Yeah. So if somebody does want to donate or someone wants to learn more about, you know, y your plans, your policy, is it votekuiper.org? Votekuiper.org. Vote and you can find me on all social media, um, Vote Kuiper. Right on. Right on. Cool. Well, it's uh, it'll be interesting to see how this goes for you. Yeah. Uh, I'm definitely, uh, I'm there with you about like, um, kind of fed up with, uh, the, the graying of New Hampshire. So, you know, even if you don't get into the office, if you can, you know, make some positive change and make some inroads and, you know, changing, changing how things are going, you know, that's, that's progress. And again, yeah. you know, like you said, if you don't win this one, you know, you're planning on going again in 2026. Well, what I'm thoroughly hoping is that one or all or more of the, or some of the other candidates, like look at some of the stuff on my platform and are like, Oh, these are good ideas. Like I'm going to steal these ideas. I have sure. no problem with that. Yeah. You know, and in some ways I wanted to get this stuff out there because I honestly think that some of the ideas I have, especially about housing stuff are really the only viable idea. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I've thought a lot about this and like, it's going to be really hard to, um, 
to free market our way out of where we are right now. Yeah. So what I'm proposing is basically the state create a quasi public part public uh, public private partnership that would build modular cottages. And then we could sell them to, for instance, older folks in a big house that can't afford it anymore. They move into the cottage, they rent out their two or three bedroom house. They've got now income for retirement and they're living next to a young couple, intergenerational exchange. Sure. You know, there's a bunch of ways in which that's a good idea. And we could have the vocational schools build them, you know, to train up more tradespeople because that's what we need. So we could potentially be getting cheap housing stock plus a whole fleet of tradespeople trained up. If we threw in the prison industrial um, prison, New Hampshire prison industries and trade prisoners to also build these tiny homes. You know, then we've got a whole bunch of things working together to create housing. Um, and we don't have to do this forever. We do it for five or 10 years. We build yeah. it up and then, you know, we close that down. You know, it's not like permanent socialism, right, right. <laughs> but those are the kind of ideas that are, are out of the box that we need. And that's what I'm trying to bring up. And, and hopefully people will think about, um, electing more creative candidates who have creative ideas and aren't going to just maintain the status quo. Right on. Yeah. Right on. So what's the next step for you? Uh, what's, what's next? So this article, the extra newsletter just dropped, which I've been waiting for it to drop for a couple weeks. Cause I wanted that sort of piece of paper of like, Hey, I'm a legit candidate. I was in the paper. <laughs> you know what I mean, like this isn't a joke. I'm not vermin Supreme. I'm not right. trying to give puppies away or whatever ponies. Uh, so I was waiting for that to drop. And now I think I'm going to start hitting up the, I'm going to start with the uh, Rockingham Democratic Party. They have a monthly meeting. Um, go there, give my spiel. Um, I want to hit up some of the chambers of commerce and say, hey, look, we're going to need housing for our employees. Um, and I don't think there's a plan to do that. I have a plan and I would like it if you would share my plan with other people. Yeah. And, and likewise, I mean, part of the huge part of this is just getting people, when you meet the other gubernatorial candidates, saying, hey, this guy's got a plan for housing. What's yours? You know, this guy's got a plan for legalizing marijuana and taxing it. What's yours? Yeah. You know, because these candidates, I think, are just not being challenged to come up with salient, you know, action points. And what's the plan? Where's the property? Where's the money coming from? And that sort of thing. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. Right on. Cool. Well, I'm very uh, interested to see how it goes for you. And uh, I wish you... Uh, Great success in this. Yes, thanks for the interview. Yeah, and shout absolutely. out to all of your listeners. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Good talking to you. Guys. Nice.